This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life. And the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day. And I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition, or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Military Veteran Dad. This is episode 137. Wow, still hard to believe 137 episodes out there. It would not be possible without you guys out there listening, sharing, giving your iTunes reviews. All of those things help us get the word out. If I could ask one personal favor though today, if you haven't shared the podcast with someone, this work, this information, even today's episode, this information needs to be in the hands of military veterans and active duty members of the military because fatherhood out there is important. The work that we've been doing here at this podcast really has the impact to change lives, but it doesn't change lives unless people know about it. So if you've been listening for a long time, getting value, one thing if I could ask is share the podcast with a friend, let them know what we're doing here, let them know even an impact of how this podcast has changed your life. But today's guest, Dana Olbermann, is a new topic that is really important. Again, information that every military dad needs to know because Life out there in the front lines of fatherhood, the information is not prevalent, the information is not abundant, and every piece helps. And so today, Dana, who's coming on to talk about sleeping and kids, and Dana began her private career in Vancouver, Canada in 2003 after struggling with her own kids in sleep. She drew on her dual degrees in psychology and education to create the Sleep Sense program, a complete sleep resource for parents, which has sold over 100,000 copies in more than 30 countries. Since writing the Sleep Sense program, she has authored an additional four books on specific parenting challenges, over 100 individual followers on Facebook and Instagram. Her instructional YouTube videos have over 3.5 million views. Her parenting blog website averaged 90,000 unique visitors per month, and her weekly podcast has over a half a million downloads. She's been featured on major parenting trade shows, a frequent guest on radio and television programs, and her work has been highlighted on Good Morning America, CNN, Today's Parent, and WebMD. Today, Dana lives in Sarasota, Florida with her husband and three children, where she continues her life work to educate and empower families with healthy sleeping habits. What's really stood out with Dana in this interview is how long she's been doing it. She's been doing it since the 90s, before really people were asking good questions, before even people knew that Google could be this place in the future that we could go to ask questions and it would spit out great information. So the information in this episode is time-tested. It is filled with wisdom from her own life. And it is rich with actionable advice for how to change your kid's sleeping habits and why it is so important. So with that said, let's get started with today's episode. Hang on for the other side for my big takeaway. Welcome to the podcast, Dana. 
I'm happy to be here. I'm excited for you to be here as well because this is a different kind of interview and we're going into a topic we've never went into before. But we have in front of us, or in front of me at least here, a expert on sleeping, but not just sleeping in general, but sleeping as it connects to kids. So part of that story, I want to go to like, when did you start like listening to something on the inside of your heart and your head of like, I need to go towards sleeping versus wherever else you were headed in life? Yeah, well, I was a teacher. I was an elementary school teacher before I had my first son and um, I struggled with his sleep, like most, most new parents, I knew nothing about his sleep needs. And, uh, I, I just had this naivety that he would get, they would get better with time and he would start sleeping more consolidatedly through the night, but that didn't actually happen. Uh, we kind of hit the six month mark and he was still getting up as many times as he had when he was a brand new baby. So, I kind of had my rock bottom moment around that month and thought maybe there's something I actually need to do um, in order for him to start sleeping better. And that led me to, you know, do the research and start looking at what was available for parents as far as the topic of sleep was concerned and really didn't find a lot. I mean, this was, my son is now 19. So this was quite a few years ago and there wasn't a lot of information um, available to parents besides a, a couple of books on the shelf. So I, I um, solved his issues and he turned into a baby who slept great and his personality changed and um, my, my, my mood changed, my relationship with him and, and my husband was so much improved from getting better quality sleep that I just thought, you know, maybe there's a Maybe there's a, a niche I can fill. Maybe maybe what's lacking is is a little bit more education and somebody to really sit down with parents and start helping them figure out why their baby's not sleeping well and what action steps they need to take in order for things to improve. And so, on a whim, I just took a took a leap of faith and uh, quit my job and and started Sleep Sense and um, haven't looked back since. How many years ago was that? I started private consulting in 2003. You've really been on this road for a long time. I have, yes. One thought that comes on my mind right away when someone that's been in this space for so long, there's got to be like a really, really big lie that parents tell themselves over and over that you get to debunk very quickly, probably, that you keep finding and running into that's reinforced by mainstream everything. Mm -hmm that you find like is the one thing that parents need to just let go. Yeah. Well, I think there's two things that, that kind of get under my skin all these years later. One is that, that these children will outgrow it, that you just have to grin and bear it and, and, and keep hoping and waiting. And eventually these children will start sleeping better and through the night and the research um, disproves that, that myth that most kids as high as 85% of babies who are struggling with sleep continue to do, do so for the next three to five years. So, you know, sleep, sleep is skill-based, sleep is habit-based. And so not very many people like learn new skills or give up habits, you know, spontaneously one day, you know, like it, we're creatures of habit and we don't like a lot of change. And so uh, waiting for your kids to outgrow it. I mean, maybe you'll get lucky, but chances are 
you you won't and you're going to be, you know, struggling for for many years. And I think the second thing that that um is a bit of a myth is that this is your cross to bear because you became a parent, right? Like that that discussion that you have to sacrifice your yeah, that you have to sacrifice your health and your well-being and your um, you know, um happiness because you decided to become a parent is a lie and one that I wish we would um, stop promoting that. Yes, you're going to be when we're talking about newborn babies. Absolutely. For the first few months of their life. Yep. You're going to be a walking zombie. There's no way around that. But as far as living with this for like multiple months or even years, no way. No one has to do that. So what I hear within that as well is this, um, this narrative that we buy into because it's reinforced the shared misery. And you talked about outgrowing it and having it as a dad of three kids. I know, I feel like the way you laid those statistics, I was like, I, I was part of the lucky ones because all of our kids fairly have a good nighttime routine. Very rarely, unless there's like a storm, do we, they wake up or have something in we've had good nights for years now, but that's not always the case. I always see pictures on Facebook of kids climbing in their beds and just this fear of being in the room and there's this whole ecosystem of fear that's probably laced within this sleep problem. So let's dive into, like, let's go to that one-year-old kid that isn't sleeping well. What are some of those things that a parent out there needs to know to really get their kid to even potentially see a way to grow through this? Because I'm sure it's just as much that they need to grow through this as it is for the parents to grow through it. Yeah. Yeah. So really at the heart of the issue, how a a child falls asleep, it really all comes down to what are the strategies that this child is accustomed to or used to that allows them to get into sleep quickly as, as quickly as possible. And for most babies who aren't sleeping well, it's because they've attached the journey to something external. So usually it's being rocked to sleep or being fed to sleep. Uh, either with a breast or a bottle, those are the most common, what we call sleep props um, that I see out there. And in and of themselves, they're not problematic, but when a baby connects sleep to them, then that is when it becomes the problem because that's their, their favorite way, their habit, their strategies for getting themselves to sleep. And it might be easy. Maybe it only takes, you know, less than five minutes to rock this little one to sleep and put them into the crib. But the problem's going to show up somewhere in the night where we all have naturally occurring wake-ups. And when this baby has a little wake-up, he should go right back to sleep, but he's probably not going to because the strategy's not there. So they'll cry, you'll come in, you'll rock them again, they'll fall asleep. And this can go on, you know, two, five, 10 times a night. And so the what has to happen is that connection needs to be broken. That rocking is 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 not your way to sleep anymore. We're going to say goodbye to that method, and we're going to start teaching you some skills that are independent and internal, so that this baby has the skills to get himself back to sleep or herself back to sleep every time she has a little wake up in the night. That's what we have to do with kiddos who aren't sleeping well. What's a kind of a tip within that moment that a dad or a mom could try tonight to kind of break that routine or try something different? Is there like a, a quick kind of like try this that is a kind of a good way to flirt with this idea of changing the routine? <laughs> yeah, I wish. I mean, I wish there was like a magic uh, bullet or solution to this that was like such an easy fix. But 
it, it's a skill set. So, you know, when you think about teaching your kids any skill set, um, you know, if I'm teaching my kids to swim, for example, I'm not expecting mastery in a day or two. I'm going to get them lessons. I'm going to give them opportunity to practice. I'm going to encourage them and cheer them on on the sideline. But the actual skill of swimming is theirs to master. I can't do that for them. And sleep is the same. So we can set the stage. We can make sure the timing's right. We can give them lots of opportunity to practice and be encouraging along the sidelines. But the skill of sleep is is theirs to master. And, you know, there's no real easy way to do that. You have to break. You have to put them down awake in their crib without the rocking or the feeding or whatever you've been doing and allow them space and opportunity to figure out how do I do this without all that extra help? Mm, that's the the component where they have to grow through what they need to grow through versus kind of like uh, having their needs met. I've heard it said, and ironically, I think this is tied together, that you spend the first two years of a kid's life doing everything for them and you spend the next 16 getting them to figure out how to do it on their own. <laughs> and I feel like what you just said is kind of baked into that advice because we spend, like in this case, you're spending two years to try to really hardwire or more hack your way to a good night's sleep. And then you have to spend the next 16 trying to establish good bedtime routines, establish them sleeping. And it's this undoing of all this work that you did in the first two years to get peace and quiet. But at the same time, you reinforce habits that you don't necessarily want. Yeah, right. And that's why I wish, um, you know, my hope for every new parent out there is that they start doing a little bit of research or sleep education before a baby even comes. Because having had two kids after I started this program, um, I know that when when you know more, you know, you do better. And the second and third, they were sleeping through the night by 10 weeks because I knew what to do and I knew what they needed and I knew how to guide them in the right direction. I mean, that 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 would be wonderful if everybody kind of knew these little um, pieces of information so that they could start out on the right foot. And I think this is one of those areas that as a parent, there are so many things you could Google to be a good parent. And there's so many things you don't even think about Googling. I can think of many problems where I'm like, I should just type that into Google and see what it says. But I never actually consciously do that because I still think it's like, it's just a problem I had that everybody has. And it's like nutrition. It's like with anything with parenting, you almost need just the word like, oh, there is this way that I could do sleep. And it sounds like what you've kind of created is this program to really help parents understand the process in a way to get them to this way through it. But again, it's that like, you just need to have the word, like you don't have to be a sleepless parent. You just simply can learn and just learning even allows your brain to change how you're going through it and open up to new experiences and ne never go back to that previous way. I can, I can only imagine when people just even find your website that changes how they parent forever because they're like, Oh my God, there's an entire industry helping kids sleep. What a great idea. <laughs> This is, must be a billion-dollar industry because it's a billion-dollar problem that every parent <laughs> must go through. But it's one of those industries. How many people even know it exists until you have someone like you come into your life and you're like, oh, there's this whole world over here to help people through that. It is. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I was here from the very beginning. So I've, I've got to watch this, this career that I kind of just made up really turn into a, um, you know, a valid and important service. So one of the things that you have the ability to help parents through is helping kids take longer naps, which is super important because nap time is the sanity time or the mm -hmm. time where you kind of reset life to the, to the best of your ability. 
what are some of those things that parents aren't considering when it comes to nap time? Yeah, well, I think there's a misconception out there that if you limit naps or you prevent a child from napping during the day, that they'll somehow sleep better at night. And that's that's absolutely false. Um, the more overtired a child becomes by not getting adequate daytime sleep usually means there's um, a much more fragmented night to come. So just like if you were super overtired, you would probably find it very challenging to fall asleep, you know, uh, in a timely manner. Most people feel like they've drank a pot of coffee right before they're trying to go to sleep when they're overtired. And the same is true for kids. So sleep begets sleep. So the better the child's sleeping through the day, the better they're going to sleep at night. Um, and allowing them the opportunity. Again, it all comes back to if, if this baby knows how to fall asleep at the beginning of the nap time, they should start sleeping longer because they're not waking up at the end of one cycle. And for babies, a, a sleep cycle is about 40 to 45 minutes in length. So that's where we get this sort of chronic catnapper who's only sleeping for 30 minutes, waking up grumpy, not rested, and we've got to do it all over again and again. Um, and if you teach them to fall asleep independently, then they, they, they breeze through that and they start sleeping, you know, an hour, maybe even two and sometimes three, if depending on how many naps they're taking. Um, and, you know, I think giving them the same thing you would do if you were taking a nap or your partner was taking a nap, just be respectful that somebody's taking a nap in the house. Like, running your kids ragged all day and giving them 10 minute nap in the car here and there, that's not going to be enough to really restore them um, and do all the great things that a nap is supposed to do. So just carving out time in your day where you're giving your child that opportunity to take a good nap in a nice, quiet, dark room somewhere in the house. So something I'm really curious about, because I've never really even thought about it. Another good example of until a sleep expert comes in your world, you don't start thinking about it. What is psychologically going on and developmentally in the brain that transitions a baby who needs several naps throughout the day through like a kid, toddler who needs two naps in the morning and the afternoon? What's going on that this evolution kind of gets to the point where they make an entire day? Like what is the brain actually doing there that needs to make sure that it has this environment to do it? Well, I mean, when you look at a newborn baby, you you can tell even if you know nothing about sleep, how important sleep must be, right? A newborn baby is sleeping essentially, you know, 20 hours of Digestion the day. Digestion wears them out to the point where they're sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like everything's making them tired. And so sleep, you know, plays such a um, important front and center role for a baby's brain and development and stimulating senses and making neural pathway connections and boosting the immune system and memory function. And I mean, we know now that sleep just pretty much plays a role in everything in your, in your brain, in your body. Um, but as they grow, they have more stamina, right? They can go a little bit longer before they get pooped out and fatigued. And so that's when you start to see, you know, around the third month, they're taking more, more like three naps a day. And by the sixth month, they're most likely dropping down to two naps a day. We hit those toddler years and they're just taking one big consolidated nap during the day. Um, and that that is a very common sort of progression um, of a child's sleep needs as they get older. Um, but still so important that they're given that opportunity to have it. One other thing that within naps that I'm curious about, and I often joke to myself of like, how, how much as an adult you wish you could take a nap because your mm. life's busy and you get tired, but you can't. 
because you got adulting going on. And yet kids who really need a nap, maybe sometimes even when they're six or seven, it's like, man, your behavior is off the charts. You just really need to nap. But they refuse to take a nap. And I'm wondering, is that refusal more connected to the poor habit established early on? Or is it more connected to this is just how parenting works? I mean, it could be. It, it would kind of depend. I mean, some kids are just that type of personality where day is so much fun and they're so go, go, go. And they love, you know, interacting and playing and spending time with you that even if they're so fatigued and, and even a great sleeper, they might still fight the nap right? They might put up a fuss and say, no, and I don't want to take a nap. I mean, given the opportunity, probably a lot of kids would say, no, I would choose not to take that nap. Thank you. Um, But yeah, if they have good sleep skills then they should be able to get the connection, you know, I always think one of my, my big teaching lessons I want parents to know too, is that this is about establishing a really good relationship with sleep too, right? If you know what sleep is for and you know, and you have no like baggage around it, it's just a happy place you go at the end of a great day, then, then kids don't, aren't going to be fighting it or upset. And it's not a punishment, right? If you say to a child, oh, your behavior is really crappy right now, you need to sleep. That's kind of telling them that, well, sleep must be the punishment for my really bad behavior, right? So we don't want sleep. This is not a punishment. It's not a luxury item. It's a necessity. It's a non-negotiable. It's a it's an important piece of our day and night. And, and it's just, it is what it is. You know, you're taking your nap whether you want to or not. It was always my philosophy. <laughs> what about when they get older, when it's almost the opposite when, because I know in my teenage years, and I'm, this is still true for teenagers that I'm aware of is this insatiable ability to try to burn all the midnight oil and play video games or something till three in the morning and then mm-hmm. sleep till 11 in the morning. Is there something different that happens in our head or is it just this rebellion independent stage and this is just how it shows up and really messes with your sleep? No. I, and this is, I'm, I'm happy you asked that question. Cause this is like my new, um, my new soapbox that I get on is with teens because I have three teens myself. Um, no, it's biological. There's a, a biological shift in the circadian rhythm that hits just a little bit after puberty. So right in those teen years, and it, it's it's a significant shift. It's a three-hour shift in the circadian rhythm. So if normally, you know, we would go to bed at, say, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock as adults, Teens aren't going to even be ready to fall asleep until three hours after that. So that is why most teens have a very hard time getting to sleep before midnight because they're just biologically not designed to do that. But yet we force them, right, to live in the adult world of get to bed early and get up early. Like my kids start school at 730 in the morning, which is. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Like, how how do you battle with getting them up early knowing they still need their sleep? But the battle with they don't want to go to sleep till midnight. Exactly. And you have to, you know, it has to be, again, I have to force them to do it, even though that's not the way their body clocks are designed to work at the moment. But that, you know, you do have to monitor things like screen use. You know, we have a no screens an hour before bed rule at our house and you have to help them, you know, set up a bedtime routine that's like gets their body and brain ready for bed I make them plug their phones in in an entirely different room. So they're not like distracted by 
messages coming in all night long, keeping the room nice and dark and, and cool. I mean, you can do, you can help them um, to manage this uh, as best they can. But in a perfect world, we should be letting their body do what their body's designed to do and just push school tar- start times later. Amen to that. That would pop. And in also now that I kind of connected this whole thought, in those early in the higher grades, like they start school earlier than elementary, so yes. that they can get ahead for the busing, so that they can get into the system, so then they can switch and get to get elementary school to later. And it just kind of reinforces this negative nature with their sleep schedule. But then I'm also picking up on like because I know in my head as I hear adults go through this. The teenage years are this, you're wrong, I'm right. And it's also then probably introduces shame into the tra- the teenager's connection with sleep and their rebellious age, their independence part. And if you connect with, you need to go to bed because I said so, versus you need to go to bed. I understand maybe this is going on within you and you don't want to, but this is why it's important. Mm-hmm. And really like squirreling all the way to the bottom of the word why on why you need a teenager needs to go to bed early. So that they don't see it as a punishment, but they understand why and not bringing it to like, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just trying to do it the opposite of what they, I'm telling them to do. And this is just them showing up as a teenager, which is true. But if you make them feel guilty and shame because they're connected to it, then you're even just messing up their connection with sleep later in life as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a kid, my parents constantly gave me a hard time as a teenager for sleeping until noon on the weekends. And we had this, you know, image that teenagers are lazy or whatever. Yeah, we like, call you're them. just lazy and you stop being, <laughs> you need to go out and get a job. You need to start yeah. getting ready for life. Life doesn't give you this type of laziness ability. And I can hear it in my head. Yeah, me too. But now we know. And I mean, this research is pretty new. So we have to cut our own parents a little bit of slack because they didn't know better. But now we do know. And and it would be like asking an adult to start work at four in the morning. I mean, yeah, you could do it, right? But you're not, you're not going to be giving it your best. Your product, your productivity is not going to be um, where it should be at four o'clock in the morning. And that's what we're asking teens to do. And we're asking them to like drive cars and make decisions, you know, and, and be responsible and not be impulsive. And yet we're they're they're five days of the week, they're sleep deprived. So I don't know what we think, you know, we, they're doing pretty good, all things considered. Yeah. And I could also even just even think about back through COVID, the part of them not having to go to school is what was almost maybe allowed them a little bit more grace with that sleep schedule, even when they didn't know why or parents didn't know why it could happen, but they knew they didn't have to get up so early to get on the bus or wherever they needed to get to school because virtual started at whatever time and yeah. it's just coming downstairs in your pajamas in most cases, probably. Yeah, that's right. Throwing your hair up so you don't look crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you also talk about some bedtime stuff, which is another frontline area. And the one I used to watch Nanny 911 with my wife when it was on and the bedtime was like her like number one area where it was a complete shit show and she would always show up. And the part that I always observed was it was just the consistency following through 30 times and showing who's boss. But then I also feel like as I reflect back to my own journey and learning and having a podcast now, because that was all before all that happened. I feel like that authority sometimes almost is a little bit toxic as well. Like, forcing someone to repetitive, taking them back to the room and showing them your boss and you need to listen. So I'm wondering, where's the balance in I'm the boss's bedtime for kids and trying to get them to understand that it's the right thing to do to go to bed? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. You know, again, I think it starts early that if you, if you've been teaching your child to sleep well from an early age, they, they shouldn't really, I mean, there'd be a little bit of game playing occasionally with the toddler phase. Um, but there shouldn't be a lot of fight because again, they get it, they understand, and they know it's a non-negotiable because they've been living for years with the, the exact same, um, consistency. But, you know, I think, um, if they understand what sleep is for that, again, this is not a punishment. This is just a great place. We go at the end of a long day, um, that makes it easier, but setting up a really structured bedtime routine is really important because again, it lets a child know that bedtime's coming. Not yet, not exactly this minute. Cause most kids like transition, right? Like they need time to get their heads warning. around the idea, right? They need warning. They, they need some prep. So doing some things that they enjoy, like a bath is a great way to start the routine and, and reading stories or doing something together in the bedroom before they go into that crib or bed just sets the stage. And science proves too that there's some there's some um, importance to a routine and cueing our brain and body that it is time to transition. Like even adults, we all we all do a routine before bed without really thinking about it. And that is the prep work that's necessary for that transition um, and then getting them, in, them into the bed. Um, and yeah, I think sometimes you do have to consequence, right? Behavior. If you've got a little one who just keeps coming out of the room and coming out of the room, I mean, 85 times later, you're probably losing your temper now, right? And you're most likely doing some yelling, which you could have nipped in the bud faster by just doing my rule of thumb is one warning and then a consequence. You come out of that room again and something's happening that you're not going to enjoy. Could be closing the door all of the way. It could be taking away his sleeping buddy, but something's happening if you continue that behavior. And I do it in increments. So I'm never boxing a parent into an all or nothing approach. I'd say like, let's take away the sleeping buddy for a minute or two, and then we'll return it. And then the next time we'll take it away for a few more minutes and we'll return it. So it gets to a place where it's really uncomfortable for the child to be parted from his lovey uh, for too long and they stop the behavior. Uh, and, you know, again, I feel like that's better, right? I would way rather see parents doing that than like losing their losing their cool at some point, screaming the house down about this. Yeah, there is another well, something that... Uh... The more dad work I've done, the actual harder it is to be a dad because the more awake you become, the just you, you know more about what you could do or how you could do it different. And one of those moments is that someone taught me or explained it that they're going to come down, they ask for one more hug, and then you're like, oh, we've done this five times already. Just go to bed is what you're saying. <laughs> in your head. But then there's this way his dad explained it to me. He's like, one day they're going to come down, ask for one more hug, and then it's never going to happen again. And no one's going to tell you when it is. And it's just going to happen. And so like balancing with this is just the way it is sometimes with someday this is all you're going to want back or they're going to bring you dad. I got in a car accident and you're like, man, it was so much easier raising you when all you wanted was one more hug. Right. And it's that comparativeness and also the trap of like being stressed out in the moment we're in. Do you find parents struggle working through that? Is that something that they have to go through that you take them through? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think even when we're talking about breaking the sleep prop association, like if you're rocking your baby to sleep every night, you know, that's actually really lovely. Like that's a really awesome thing that you're doing with your baby. You're rocking him to sleep. It feels really nice for both of you. That's like one of your your (laughs) rare moments where like, ah, 
you're so yeah. sweet when you're not puking in. I know when you're falling asleep, you just like look like a little angel. Um, yeah, but but and so there is some a little bit of grief involved in like parents knowing that okay, this is not maintainable anymore, right? Rocking you ten times a night is no longer fun nor beautiful. Uh, it needs to stop. But but to accept the fact that there's going to be something you miss in that. There's, even though you're sleeping better and everything is you know so much improved there'll be a little piece of you that still kind of, you know, wishes you could have the best of both worlds. For sure. I totally get that. But what happens, especially with the toddler age is if you give in to, you know, five, then the next night it's 15 and the next night it's 35 and the next night it's 200. Like most, most toddlers look for boundaries somewhere, right? They're, they're pushing and pushing and pushing. And if they don't know where the boundaries are, they're just going to keep pushing until they find them. And that's why I think it's better to be really clear and consistent. You know, one more hug. Okay. That's your one morning. Don't come out again or something's going to happen. Um, that helps kids feel secure. They, they get it. They, they know where the boundaries are. They understand the consequences and they feel secured by that. And being a, a boundary slipper slider, you know, when you don't have that structure to your parenting, it actually leaves your kids feeling more insecure. It's that's the truth. I'm interested to see where this kind of falls in and maybe if there's anything that I could do to tune it up. So one thing that I've, I started maybe a few years ago was what I call bedtime talk where it's, I sit down with each kid. Cause it started as kind of reading a book to everybody and it was always a hot mess. So then I started reading a book individually. And then there was these opportunities with my oldest daughter. She would have like just problems during the day or the playground. And then I would, we would just talk about them at bedtime. And it became this place, the safe place where we could talk about really anything, whether it be good, bad, something that I did, something that she did, something we could try differently. And it became this safe place to talk about the hard things. I mean, there's times where she gets off the bus and she's like, dad, we need bedtime talk tonight. So she's already has this place that like she can bring something to, to, to work through. And part of me does this because there's a, a thing I'm betting on that being there for the little things like a bedtime talk for these little things that seem inconspicuous to me, but to her are just as big as losing your job that later in life, she'll trust to being the big things. And I'm wondering, is there anything I could do differently within that? Or is it more just keep doing it? And this is something that is going to lead dividends? Because right now I'm in the R&D lab. I'm not sure where the product's going to end up at. I love it. I mean, I think that's amazing. I wish more parents would do that. Absolutely. Um, I would say only if, because sometimes if talking about, you know, things that cause you anxiety right before bed, you know, I always tell adults, don't, don't start a fight with your partner right before bed. Don't, don't do that. Find another yep. time. Um, if you notice that she's then having a hard time falling asleep or, you know, she's coming out to, you know, tell you, um, she's feeling anxious or I don't know what word she would use to describe it. Then you might need to move the talk somewhere else. It. it could be like after dinner talk or some time where you still get that space and you could even do it in her, in her bed, if that feels comfortable, but just keep an eye on that. That would be my only word we of caution around it. We have transitioned to a little bit of some walks. So we've, my yeah, oldest definitely, we've moved where we just me and her walk in and we can talk about anything. And it's also proving to be a safe place. But maybe it's also, as I think about it all out here, it began at bedtime showing her that you can. And then it's morphed into more effective places to talk about it and go from there as well. Yeah, no, that's so great. And I think you're right. If they, 
if, you know, I, I, my husband was getting in a little bit of a battle of, uh, wills with our daughter, you know, and I said, well, do you want, do you want her to come to you or do you want to be right? Like, if you want to be right, well, she's going to probably stop coming to you. But if you're opening the door to the conversation, then you know she's going to come to you, especially when something's big. Mm-hmm. And then so far, I believe the the feeling I get after, even for my son, who's kind of just, he's just turning seven next week. He's in that stage where he's getting awareness to his motions, but he doesn't figure out how to do anything about them. There is still kind of this piece that like they go to bed. And I think... In some cases, especially my oldest daughter, I feel it in some days where she's pissed at me and angry about something where she has like hate towards something that I did. She doesn't understand why I did it or she thinks that I'm being vengeful. But then there's kind of this peace that comes over and we can hug and we can kiss each other goodnight. And and it's almost like closure. And I almost think there's another world where the opposite happens, where the kid goes anxious, not knowing those answers and it affects her sleep as well as going to bed peaceful and having that slate clean. And maybe some of it comes to like within marriage, I would agree with it as well, because oftentimes you're bringing a lot of baggage to those conversations at night from your own day. But kids don't hold on to a lot from their own day. They, they move That's through true. it pretty quickly, but certain things can get really sticky and they just need to get expressed, which is something they're not good at yet. And they're just expressing it allows them to like, yeah, it's okay. It's over now. Yeah. Something well, adults could great. do better at, but a kid's yeah. is like that just expressing it almost is like, I could get through it now. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I love it. So one other area that I want to go into that is really hard is when your kids get sick, because this is kind of like the the front lines of sleep, where the sleep messes up at night, whether they're waking up. I mean, I can't tell how many times I've woke up and had to clean off a mattress because my daughter puked on it. And it's just this catastrophe of being sick. And then your day just begins at like three in the morning. You're like, now we're going to cancel work. We're going to have to stay home. And it's just this, then your sleep is messed up. So what are some things that parents need to understand going through when their kids are sick to help balance all this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, when you're sick, you need more sleep, but you get more fragmented sleep. So it's unrealistic to think anyone's going to sleep solidly through the night when they're sick. It's just not going to happen. You're going to have wake-ups. So giving them, you know, extra naps throughout the day or, you know, just being a little bit more homebound to give them that opportunity to rest when they need to rest is going to be really important. And then I always tell people, just be careful you don't rock the boat too much, right? Like, just don't do things that are completely out of the norm, like bring your babies or kids into bed with you. That's kind of the number one no-no I see parents do as they haul their child into bed with them which maybe one night wouldn't be that big of a deal. But if you spend a few nights in bed with the child, now they might decide, well, that's preferred. I actually really enjoy that. Can we please do that every night now? And that's when I get people coming to me and saying, well, she was sick. I brought her to bed. And now six months later, she's still in bed with me. So it's an easy thing to walk into, but a little bit harder to walk out of after the fact. So go to them instead. If you're worried about her and you want to keep an eye on the child through the night, then just bring in an air mattress or throw something down on the floor. Uh, Just set up camp for a couple of nights in the child's room. That's way less disruptive, disruptive to their night if you go to them instead. And some kids, you know, I would say increase your comfort level, but but just don't mess with their skill set. So, you know, my son went through a bout of ear infection after ear infection for a whole year of his life. And those are painful. Yeah. And I've so had those as well. Need, and there's nothing you yeah. can do to get rid of that pain next no, year. Even medicine awful. doesn't really work because it's so close to the, your brain to receive the pain signals. 
Yeah, no, it's bad. And so he would need, you know, we would go in, we'd have a cuddle, we'd give him more pain relief if he needed it, might give him a drink of water. But then once the cuddle was over, he would go back to his own crib and and he would, he was such a good sleeper. He would, he would like point to his crib and be like, okay, thank you. Thank you for the cuddle, but I'd like to go back to that place now. Um, and, and, and that's completely acceptable and encouraged and every good parent, you know, should definitely be comforting their sick child. But I, I didn't do things like try to rock him to sleep or bring him to my bed or start feeding him again in the middle of the night, if that's not something that I'd been doing up until that point. Um, so these little, these little, um, additions uh, will fade away as the child gets better again. But if, if you've really rocked the boat, now you might have to kind of start over and um, re-teach re, re this child how to sleep well without all that extra help. I love that advice. There was one word that kind of connected in my converse, in my head when you were talking throughout this interview, and I'm wondering how prevalent and also what does a parent need to think about if their kid potentially has what I think probably is a diagnosable syndrome of sleep trauma. So how does a parent actually recognize between what you have as a sleep issue versus like an actual traumatic experience? Like, are there any like key indicators that maybe like they need to go into and do something more than just kind of read a few books? Is there anything that you could help illuminate there? Um, are you speaking about a sleep terror? A night terror? I'm not sure exactly. I just invented, I wasn't even sure if sleep trauma was an actual word within the medical community. I just wrote it down. And I was like, because trauma is something PTSD and veterans go through. So it's common in my head. And we we're talking yeah. about sleep. And I'm like, I wonder if a sleep trauma is something that's actually like a real thing, but maybe it's something as sleep simple as, or in different words, as that sleep terror. Well, I mean, that's a great point. I think if you're, if you've experienced any kind of trauma, and, you know, you're going to, your sleep is going to be impacted, right? You're going to have a hard time falling asleep. Maybe you have anxiety or you're having nightmares. I mean, absolutely. I would say if a child's had some sort of traumatic event, then you should be seeing a therapist about that, right? Like that should be something that that's being worked on from a professional level. Um, and that could, that, that combination of working with a therapist could, you know, get the sleep back on track and help, help that child sleep better as opposed to a night terror is, is more of a, a disorder of such sort, sort of like sleepwalking. Um, it's, it's sort of a similar, it's on the, on the similar scale. Um, I have found though that night terrors tend to, uh, occur when a child is overtired. So you might notice and sleepwalking as well. So if you find that your child periodically sleepwalks, look at what has been happening the, the few days prior, probably late bedtimes, maybe you're out, traveling or on a holiday, she comes home sleep deprived. And the, then for the next two or three nights, she's going to be sleepwalking or having um, what we call night terrors, which is usually um, screaming uncontrollably uh, in the middle of the night. Um, and so keeping your children on a strict bedtime and a strict routine and, and not really letting that time budge around too much should, it might not totally eliminate the night terror, but it will absolutely uh, make it less, less prevalent. It'll show up less often. Um, if that's what's happening and your child will outgrow it, you know, occasionally it lingers into adulthood, but that's very rare. And so it's just kind of one of those things you've got to manage until your child outgrows this. That's one thing they will outgrow. <laughs> I was thinking that as the beginning, how you started and that it's not something, but this is one of those where it's just a natural progression. And as we wrap up this interview, there's one question I'm also thinking how does a parent know that they need help? 
Because between the thing that you think of, like, I should be able to figure this out, or I could read a book or watch some YouTube videos. When do you, when should you recognize as a parent that I need help through this moment to get my kid to where they could potentially go? Yeah. You know, so many people wait so too long, way too long. Like we hear from people who are, you know, their marriage is in trouble. Their health is, is suffering. Their postpartum, you know, anxiety and depression is off the charts. I mean, we've had people come to us like who are on the verge of self-harm or else they're, they're having negative thoughts about their child. I mean, you need to reach out for help way before those things show up way, you know, we can still help at that point, but, you know, I would say as soon as you start to feel like you can't do it anymore. Right. Or as soon as you start to feel like my health is suffering, my relationships are suffering, my work life is suffering. You know, these are things that again, don't, you don't need to grin and bear it. You, You, there are things you can do to make, to improve this situation. And so reaching out, you know, there's lots of advice about sleep on the market. It doesn't have to be specifically my advice, but start start looking for solutions to your to this to this crisis because it's not even just about you, right? As the parent, it's also about this child. That if you're feeling the effects of sleep deprivation night after night, on some level, so is your child. And so it, I always say, this is a family problem. And it, the solution is beneficial to everyone involved. I appreciate that. And then I think that is something that we all just kind of need to be humble enough to admit there is a better way. And that something that I, I talk about with men in their life of doing life as a community and having a tribe is people were never wired to do life alone. It was always right. meant to be a, it takes a village to raise your kids. And oftentimes when you feel like you're all alone, that's like, okay, I need to expand my village. And there are people out there that have solved many of the problems that we face as parents, but we have to have the ability to Google and just type it in. How do you solve this? And I can't tell you how many problems I've done that popped up and like, oh my gosh. And then it just, it's a thread that opens up an entire new lane of information that changes my life and how I show up every day. Yeah, absolutely. I would also say, you know, when we're talking about sleep, there are different perspectives out there. And so I, I do hear from some moms that when they go to a, you know, a community of such and, and start trying to have discussions around sleep, they can feel attacked. They can feel judged, right? Again, you get those comments like, well, you shouldn't have had kids if you can't handle it. You know, this, this is what you signed up for. That kind of language language will show up. So I would just say, you know, make sure that the safe, that it's a safe space um, to, to open up those discussions so that you don't up, end up actually feeling worse uh, for it. So if people want to find out more about you and get in touch with you for anything related to sleep with it comes to kids, where can the best place to get a hold of you? Yeah. So you can come to the website. It's sleepsense.net. Um, I'm also on Instagram under sleep sense. Um, I love to get messages from people there and, um, you can send me an email or I'm on Facebook under Dana Obelman, but yeah, there's lots of places where we can connect. And if anyone has questions, uh, about what we do to definitely reach out. Well, I appreciate your time with us today, today, Dana, and I'm excited. This is information 
isn't common, but it needs to be more common. So I appreciate you helping making that more prevalent within the community and sharing something with dads where they maybe not even feel capable to go into this conversation. But hopefully this conversation gave them the courage to maybe have a conversation with their wife about how we actually go through this versus kind of like leaving it on one side of the aisle to take care of it. So I really appreciate you showing up today and sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah, thanks so much. I I had a great time. My favorite topic. I think my big takeaway for this episode is how much we get wrong about sleep. The information that Dana was talking about with high schoolers and how they're going to have a later sleep cycle. Talk about how many times as a kid growing up, I was told that staying up is irresponsible. All these different things that go with life. Man, when you hear an expert talk about how these things are biologically happening under the surface, but yet we often just don't have that acceptance from the rules or parenting advice or just general acceptance of how things are going in life. So to me, that big thing is going to stick with me as my kids are growing up. And again, the old, my oldest daughter is nine right now. So this is kind of like the early years of when that sleep cycle is going to start changing and trying to figure out the best way to manage it. Because that's really the hard part because the system still hasn't adapted. They still require kids to be up early. They still require kids to be the first one as teenagers into schools before the elementary. And so trying to figure out the best way to create that in the system that we have for our kids and really probably even incorporating into the weekend as well. So that's my future big takeaway because that's going to allow me to go into it as I notice sleep changing that I can show up and give my daughter the space that she needs and create new boundaries to adjust to the things that are happening beneath the surface. So well, that was my big takeaway. What was your big takeaway? Let me know over on Instagram at military veteran dad send me a message. I'd love to hear what sleep information that you might have had wrong going into this episode. Guys, have an amazing week. I'll be back again with you on Friday.